Hi, I'm Rajorshi Dash and you're listening to Queerness and Storytelling in India. So today I have someone whom I have known for quite a while, uh, largely because of uh, my interaction within uh, queer spaces, within professional circuits. And also this guest perhaps has sent me the shortest possible bio, uh, one sentence, uh, two sentences actually. Um, so Devolina De teaches in Ramjas College, University of Delhi. They identify as queer, especially the adjective. And I must tell that Debolina also did her PhD from University of Delhi, Department of English, and is actually a very sort of popular face in sort of campus events. So welcome and thank you for uh, agreeing for this interview. Oh, I was looking forward to it, Rajoshi. Thank you for having me uh, as one of your um, speakers in this queer archive. I am very thankful that you thought of me. Um, and for that introduction. I, I've, I've met you many times uh, in the university as um, a fellow academic and um, as a fellow queer person, sort of lucky to have that in that sense, you know, the visibility of queer people around on campus. So thank you. I was curious to know the, the sentence on the adjective that you said. Like, so are you saying that queer as an adjective is what you sort of, you know, identify more especially, with? Especially. See, I mean, when you start leading a queer life and you start questioning things like, uh, you, you start using things like uh, words like uh, normative or cishet, then you start questioning the basic givenness of nouns. And um, queer as a noun is now a very contested space. You know, we are sort of questioning what it means to be queer, who is actually more queer and less queer. And um, I find some, some assurance in the adjective, which is close to being weird, strange, alien, exiled, all the synonyms of the word, you know, queer. Uh, that gives, that makes me feel like I belong. I, I don't feel, I'm not sure, you know, because I, I struggle with belonging, you know, I don't know if, if, if somebody who's drastically differently queer from me would, would want to belong in the same category of queer as let's say I would. So since the, the, the noun queer, the idea of queer is, um, basically in my head, like a tangential to something, right? The moment it becomes something central, you move away from it. And I feel like queer with a capital Q, it has that sense, you know, it's sort of becoming something, like it means something now, there is a definition. So for me, the adjective is more, um, it's closer to how I would see myself, which is strange, a little strange. That's how, how I would say Mm -hmm. And also, you know, my PhD was on nouns and adjectives. So um, it's very interesting when only a few words where the nouns and adjectives are similar. So I've looked at this, this uh, transformations of nouns into adjectives um, and especially what it does in scientific language. So it does something very interesting. Uh, and uh, for me, nouns have always been different from adjectives and you know, <laughs> I take a lot of uh, comfort in that. I feel I feel like this is a great sort of uh, moment for me to actually push you a little like into uh, sort of more academic uh, discussions, which is which is what I don't do actually in the podcast. But I can't help asking this question because of the history of queer theory and queer activism, um, because like when queer as an activist sort of, you know, way of sort of talking about it in the US, uh, there has been a lot of emphasis on uh, identity politics in some narrow sense. Uh, yeah. You know, like I'm thinking of Queer Nation Manifesto. At the same time, uh, there has been works which are not necessarily read in uh, queer sort of studies classes. Uh, let's say Kombahi River Collective Statement, which is one of the first texts to discuss intersectionality. But they are in a way queer text, but they are not sort of 
you know, categorized as queer in a way that, let's say, Queer Nation Manifest or some of these later works are. So there has been a pushback, of course, against that uh, by a lot of, uh, you know, people like Lee Edelman, uh, uh, Butler and others. And then there has been a response to that by queer of color critique. You know, people uh, talk about survival strategies that people, uh, queer people of color use, again, in the U.S. context, like Jose Esteban Munio and others who are not necessarily speaking in the mainstream uh, sort of U.S. context. Uh, in the Indian context, though, we are still, I guess, we are still sort of grappling with these sort of uh, words. I feel like there is a uh, sort of an anxiety around the term phrase rather identity politics that I've seen amidst Delhi uh, queer sort of uh, people who are invested but then they are also having to respond to other forms of queerness such as Dalit queerness such as uh, Chinky Homo projects where do you see this, this is, is going? Such, this is such a big question but such an important question that we are all grappling with Rajoshi thank you for that question actually these are some concerns that I've been thinking through, you know, especially identity politics. I think in other ways, I'm going to talk about that maybe later. But I think in, uh, for me, you know, what, I'll give you an anecdote that, that happened a few years back. This happened actually just the week before my father passed away. There was um, a Shiliguri Pride event that was happening. And, you know, they called me and they sort of, whatever, felicitated me, called me for a panel. and. You know, I came back home in Shiliguri um, with a certificate that said the word queer. So my mother said, oh, you've come back home with a certificate. So I said, yes. She said, what is the certificate for? I said, queer. She said, what is queer? Now, my parents don't really speak English. So I had to translate this word queer. And I said, the, the nearest adjective that I could found, find was odhut. So I said, in Bangla, I said, it's odhut. She says, oh you finally found a certificate for being odd <laughs> And, you know, it was funny, but honestly, um, me, that was a, that was a moment for me. That's a moment I keep going back to, you know, the untranslatability of the word. And this is something a lot of scholars have spoken about, honestly. Uh, I'll tell you about the DU syllabus. And this is something I can talk of because now we're in the second year of teaching, uh, interrogating queerness and, uh, in the, in the Indian part of the interrogating queerness syllabus, we teach um, uh, we teach about friendship, we teach shikhandi, we teach rangin in shajan, we um, sort of, we're teaching a lot of male friendship. So personally, when I tutor, you tutor that paper, even though I have not designed it or I haven't titled it interrogating queerness, but um, for me, what is interesting the intersections between, let's say, uh, a certain version of feminism and queerness would be interrogating the family, you know, the family as a unit. Um, how do we look at the family as a unit and how do we not draw these lines around ourselves and say this is family and this is not family. Even within queer kinship structures, for me to be told that, you know, this is queer family and this is not, and then how do we operate amongst those things? How can we think of friendship as being the center of life? Um, how can we think of time differently? Because you're right, you know, on one hand, there is a, a global definition of queerness that, you know, one cannot sort of say, oh, you know, I'm Indian, so that is not my queerness. You know, we, we inhabit the world of hashtags. So on one hand, there is a global uh, sense of queerness. And on the other hand, when I teach, when I try to teach queerness, when I sort of try to use Bangla words for it or Hindi words for it, I falter. Um, and so for me, the word that you have used is, is forms of desire, I think you said, or forms of queerness. What are the forms of it? For me, uh, you know, uh, one reading that I keep going back to is Foucault's Friendship as a Way of Life or, or Judith Halberstam's uh, theorization of time, uh, chrononormativity or, or productivity. You know, this is something that uh, a lot of spaces are questioning in terms uh, of a discourse. So for me, uh, there is also Shishit Kumar Das's Mad Lover. So what is this idea of madness? These are things, uh, so these are for me forms of queerness, you know, 
this is not about sexuality in the narrow sense of the term who you know who we are having sort of sexual relationship desire is so much more than that so for me what's interesting is where do we find the the queer forms of desire what makes us question um the norms in a family how do we draw circles around ourselves and say that this is my limit and this is not this is community this is not this is good this is bad this is desirous and this is not desirous for me those boundaries um uh, you know those those borders between what we consider of as family and what is not what we consider of as desirable and not uh, what we consider of as woman or not or man or not those boundaries are interesting those forms are interesting so for me sufi poetry um would be um one genre that is deeply non western in a sense um that is very queer you know um so yeah that so on one hand there is the world of hashtags uh, english queerness that we inhabit on the other hand there are some really queer forms like in shikhandi um when the selected portions that we read in class um it is not about gender you know it is about form shikhandi desires to be the person to kill kill bhishma it is not about uh, gender has nothing to do with desire gender uh, desire as in romantic desire sexual desire gender there um at least the selections that we read in the udyog parv is about what, a sense of injustice that has happened to her as amba and what she thinks of she needs to be in order to kill bhishma that one point agenda so how how then do we look back how do we translate certain words i don't read sanskrit these are these are knots that we come up in the classroom how do we translate certain words what you what uh perhaps one translation of mahabharat looks at as the body the other looks at as form so how do you how do you translate that so then it also becomes um i mean i might see you as a form right you are a certain kind of desire instead of you know how we are trained to train by a certain western literary um critical thinking to think of as bodies uh that is not there in shikhandi shikhandi is not a body shikhandi is a shikhandi is what shikhandi needs to be in order to kill bhishma so then how do we theorize bodies how do we theorize gender how do we theorize gender vis-a-vis -vis sexuality and, and desire so these are all knots that come up in my thinking and being queer in delhi in 2020 I mean that was a, such a great uh, sort of way of talking about the complex ways, also multiple ways of imagining queerness, and I think is this the version by Devdutt Patnaik that uh, you were referring to? No, no, to? no. It's uh, it's uh, the translation by Kem Ganguly. I mean Devdutt Patnaik only uh, read. I I haven't read Devdutt's uh, version of Shikhandi, but this is from the the translated text of the Mahabharat. uh there is a translation by jb van dutenen uh there is one by kem ganguly the kem ganguly is the one we read in class i remember there was a lot of controversy uh about it and i think uh, uh raj rajendra parihar who is a common friend and colleague uh, whom i also interviewed for the podcast earlier uh was one of the um uh, persons who were sort of making the syllabus uh because i remember there was a lot of issues with uh, religion and yeah, i'm yeah. imagining the bible if... was taken off uh, i mean the portions from the bible were taken off and what about yeah. other religious sort of so aware uh, in mahabharat mahabharat shikhandi still there so oh, the okay. shikhandi portions of mahabharat the translation that i just told you are still there so the people so, just had issues with the bible section is that what it was Yeah, that's what I know. Ah, oh, that's curious. I, now I don't know how to theorize that. Why would someone have a problem with just one? And, and honestly, I don't. So students in the class, and when we read Shikhandi, they are like, "Ma'am, we've been theorizing gender and gender fluidity vis-a-vis -vis the texts that we know of, but 
and and there was a student who in their first or second year of um uh, sort of being at ram just did a paper that was absolutely like um anachronistic in a sense and used butler to talk of mahabharata and all of that and and this year they are, they when they were reading the text they said ma'am how do we then you know theorize this how do we and she said good come up with new theories come up with your own theorization there's no there's no project of recovery because the moment we say we want to recover something obviously it's a problem Uh, but how then do we bring back a language and what language hindi bangla urdu what language are we going to so this is the problem of modernity as well this is what english has also done to our sense of beings you know multiple ways of existing that's what i said and there is that hashtag queer that we cannot escape from that untranslatability of the word but but we can question it we can we can we can talk about it in terms of forms so for me time becomes a really really important way of looking at labor for example not just uh, you know normativity i use time as a, a critical category to look at um, many many things uh, that for me is queer uh, it should not have taken uh, critical theory so long it should not have taken queer theorists to bring up this question of time with even with regard to labor i mean in india we don't understand labor till it comes to time in many spaces we don't so time for me friendship friendship as a hold all category ambiguous amorphous you know fighting for friendship you know reimagining friendship uh, madness for sure madness in the indian sense of diwangi you know, there are so many words for it so bring back the multiplicity Yeah, you were telling us such amazing things. I'm, I'm actually also wondering where should I go next? Should I, should <laughs> I ask Devolina more about intimacy and friendship, or should I just go with the madness? Should I go with Divangi? Because I, I remember. They are all interrelated. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like uh, sometimes intimacy people don't talk. Like you said earlier about the uh, family space, and I um, remember also interviewing Charles Mahajan, who does a, who writes a lot of children's books, and I really like how they uh, talk about family, like without using maybe the word queer or lesbian or whatever. How the family becomes that queer space, which accommodates also queerness in uh, various ways, various forms, but. uh when you think about like these non normative categories and and given the sort of the emphasis on regulation of let's say kinship through marriage so what do you think would happen next like let's say let's say it gets legalized right and we have had in india particularly there is so much of stigma on intercaste interreligious marriages anyway where do you th- see this going or as lot of people have marriage? yeah i think there are two ways of looking at it when i initially sort of found myself so i'll tell you a little bit about my queer journey so that my position is clear uh so when i began with queerness that the word queer didn't exist then there's been um 18 years back you know i was in the closet then i came out then i wanted marriage then i wanted kids then i didn't want it i didn't want the same dream with every lover and as i started living more queerly my and and then you know 377 sort of went all of that i initially my my attitude to queer marriage was oh let's again marriage they want marriage um but i then when i started thinking about it i i think that maybe for myself i don't want it at this point uh but and and i'm not even going to go into the hospital or, or all of those uh, thing i'm just thinking theoretically um i thought maybe you know if queer people get into marriage let's say two women okay and and with the stable category of women right uh, in the way that we knew it or let's say same sex to just to simplify it um they get into a marriage they stay married they they there is um, a petition for maybe domestic abuse between them how are you going to determine who's it's going to change the idea of abuse it's going to change the idea of who gets alimony if there's a petition for divorce it's going to queer the entire institution i mean 
you can't, it cannot be the same. You know, we haven't spoken of yet about intimate partner violence in, in uh, queer relationships. There are so many things that we haven't spoken about, even in intimacy, forget marriage. So when there is going to be marriage, um, you know, we, we don't realize we've spoken of gender in terms of equality as an aspiration for so long. Uh, we don't realize if we start even at a position where there is equality, let's say between two women, right? Of the same age, same gender. What are you going to do when it goes to court? How are you going to determine power? How are you going to determine hierarchy? And I would like to see what, the, what it does, what queer people do to the institution of marriage. I would be very interested in seeing what happens to the idea of family when queer people enter it. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it is as simply as saying that, oh, this is you know, heteronormative again, and we are in the same space again. It's the same exact, it's not. It's fundamentally the power dynamics change. You know, um, if you're going to say, so let's say a butch woman and a femme woman, okay? Um, if there is, let's say, a hypothetically a situation of, of domestic abuse that goes to the police, because now it can go, go to the police, right? Uh, this is woman, what are you going to say? You're going to say this woman looks like a man, so she beats me like a man. Queer activists will say no, but you know the butch-looking woman is actually structurally less privileged than the cis woman. It's going to addle our brain. Yeah. You know, it will. I guess that... more messy. Yeah, <clears throat> messy. Mm. Definitely, marriage is going to get more messy. Intimacy is going to. It is already. You know. Yeah. It I is, think yeah. those of us, for for those of us who inhabit it, uh, to be queer and not to have precedence before us is already crazy. I mean. Equality is not an easy imagination. It's it's something to aspire to. We keep aspiring to, but once we get there, I don't know how we are going to how it's going to go ahead. I don't think it's simply about oh, you know, we we are like five other straight people. It doesn't work like that. But do you think these questions, especially the question of intimate partner violence, uh, do you think that? I'm talking about the legal sphere. Do you think that the law can address that without, let's say, thinking about marriage, it giving it to, a gay It has to version. define power then. It has to define power. It has to say what the privilege of a cis woman is, um, the relative uh, privilege of a butch woman, the relative privilege of a trans person. Mm -hmm. it, has to, mm -hmm. it has to define these... Uh, relations of power and that's why i find foucault's term relationality is very different not relative but a certain kind of relationality that that queerness is bringing in a sense you know it's messy mm -hmm. yeah to say the I, least and i'm actually thinking since you mentioned uh this earlier with a hypothetical sort of situation i was actually thinking about the case of pinky pramanic and how yes. Uh, she was kind of bullied, she was sort of harassed, uh, it was terrible. I mean, of course, she was later released, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. But it was, I think, one of those moments when you could really see a very voyeuristic uh, uh, desire of the media and also of other people's social space to kind of categorize, sort of brutalize also, uh, you know, trying to categorize this person as woman, man, uh, cis uh, or non-cis, trans. So there were a lot of things that were going on and and uh, clearly the law at that time was not prepared. Uh, or at least it seems that, you know, they were following, of course, these very archaic ways of determining what, what gender is. Um, but that was also before the Trans Act came into being. It's not like it's a great act, but uh, it has a few... Uh, you know, ways of trying to do things differently. You mentioned Foucault a couple of times. I can't resist asking this. Um, Foucault, of course, writes in the 60s, right? This is a time of the uh, 60s, 70s. Foucault starts writing in the 60s and 70s, yeah. but uh, <clears throat> the one that I'm talking about, Friendship as a Way of Life, is I think 84, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, it's, it's yeah. his last interviews. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually like, I'm also wondering, like, uh, given the time he was writing, like when uh, some of the works that have also emerged around that time, if I'm not mistaken, in the 50s, to be more clear, uh, Franz Fanon's work, 
and later, of course, uh, in the black uh, feminist context, so much of works that are coming, like Audre Lorde, um, Alice Walker, um, and of course, the uh, even Butler James comes Baldwin. later. Yeah, James Baldwin and others. Do you? How do you grapple with the complete, let's say, elision um, of the colonial context in Foucault's work? And I'm just, this is nothing to do with the podcast, but this is something, because I'm also trying to uh, use more anti-colonial, uh, you know, uh, authors to do That's my work. That's a great question, uh, Rajoshi. I'm going to think about that. I seriously didn't, um, yeah. So, because I have I had this conversation with another person who is also from Shiliguri, by the way, Arpita, whom I think you know because she was also a student at Ramjas, and and we have had this conversation a couple of times, and yeah, we are still thinking through that. Like, what do we do? Because yeah. Foucault is important for queer theory, at, at, at least certain certain works, not all, but a power, of course. Audrey Lord has also trying to sort of talk about power in a very different context and I sometimes I don't know where you know where I want to engage more with Foucault or more with Lord uh, and, and get a sense of what Queen is, is amazing can I just tell you uh, yeah. a very interesting incident from my uh, interrogating queerness class so we have Giovanni's room by James Baldwin published in 1956 um, and you know set in Paris France and the interesting thing is, in my literature class, I usually make students read, um, read out, not because I can't read in class, but because they often uh, will, will either read over words or assume certain words to be other words. And because, you know, so much of literary studies is basically interpretation, uh, it usually is a first step to come up with these blind spots. Um, so a student, after having read Giovanni's room, um, actually thought David, who's the central protagonist of the, of the novel, is a black man, even though they, you know, David is not. So they assume that because Baldwin is you know, black, gay, um, uh, sort of writing about, uh, writing in a sense about queer forms of desire, that the protagonist is black. And the protagonist is in, so so much of what we read about queerness in literature uh, is what we project, you know. So it's very interesting for me to do these exercises in class to see the differences between, let's say, if I know a student is queer identifying versus someone who's not, sort of bringing in my own reading of a text year after year, how that changes. Uh, those are really interesting exercises. The, the, the suppositions that we come with uh, to theory and in a sense, even more than Foucault, I, I, I added Foucault last year, but this year I added Shishi Kumar Das and The Mad Lover is a, is a great text, even though it has nothing to do with queerness. You know? um, it is talking about you know, a certain Diwanapan in Indian Sufi uh, Bhakti tradition. And that's such a great way to introduce queer forms of desire uh, to students. And so I think, yeah. Yeah, I remember also taking some of my students to Jamali Kamali because I was uh, teaching yes. travel writing, which was uh, not yes. my area Jamali at all. Kamali. And the entire space is so beautiful. And I don't know, at that time it was open. So there was no tickets it and everything. Open. It's still yeah, open. Yeah. Oh, great to know that. You went with our students. Oh, yeah. I love that place. And if, if we had time, we would have gone to the village as well. But I think we didn't sort of so-called village. We didn't really explore much of the village. But then we were able to. And also uh, Sufi poetry has such a huge influence on Hoshang Merchant's work, whom I interviewed uh, recently. I love also. Hoshang's work. Very uniquely i think i am writing something and and i'm borrowing a lot from shang's uh, lines um, especially the bellagio blues um, fabulous work and a queer poet i really look up to in some senses mm -hmm. yeah i'm also i'm also rereading uh aga shahid ali's uh, uh, the country without a post office the the collection 
uh, these days and trying to make sense of that because I'm also trying to get a understanding of diaspora and the question of where you belong, you know, belongingness. You know, it's so strange that in poetry, uh, especially when I look at, um, so there are a few poets that I really look up to um, and they're across time and, and space and country. Um, there is obviously Sappho, uh, then you have Rabia of Basra, um, who in some ways, sort of Sufi poetry, the beginning of Sufi poetry, you know, these women who've been erased out of it. Uh, you have, um, of course, you have Emily Dickinson, you have Marilyn Hacker, you have Mary John Chan, um, just amazing poets, uh, women who are writing of a particular kind of queer desire. Um, again, not narrowly queer in the identity politics of the term, but queer in the form of desire is queer. And despite the fact that they're writing from such different places, right? There is a certain intensity of desire that even when you don't know the identity of the poet that jumps out at you. And I'm very lucky, I feel, I think the only good thing that comes out of academic uh, syllabi is sometimes getting acquainted with these people across the world, this community of people who write with a certain intensity of desire that is queer, you know, an intensity that cannot be contained, an intensity that is beyond sexuality, is beyond these narrow ideas of, of sexuality in the way that we understand it. Um, fabulous uh, yeah. people. This actually reminds me of Proofrock because when I read Proofrock uh, Eliot's poem for the first time, I thought it's so queer. And then when I was discussing this with a fellow colleague, I remember they were like not that convinced because, and I was like, oh, but you know, years later, I actually read uh, works which refer directly to Eliot being uh, a gay or possibly, you know, like, you know, being sexually very active, you know. Uh, and the same holds true for Frankenstein. Uh, and at that time, I did not have any knowledge about Susan Stryker's uh, work on Frankenstein, uh, you know, imagining Frankenstein as a trans character. So, you know, so it's very so, interesting. Do you know Jeanette Winderson, Winderson's Frankenstein, which is a trans yeah. again? Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. 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 So that yeah. happened later. So, you know, in my like academic journey. So it's kind of interesting. But also, I'm thinking, like, since you mentioned poetry, you are also a poet, right? So uh, is there like a connection between your poetry and your, you know, and the poets you read and the, what you write as a poet? Yes, I think I am always struggling to find. Um, I don't I don't think of myself as a poet with a capital P. Um, I think of myself as a lip singer. Uh, whether it's language, whether it's desire, I find myself um, like that imposter Bollywood hero that I wanted to be growing up in small town Siliguri, sort of lip syncing to Bollywood songs. And that's how I lip sync to poetry. You know, I don't think of myself as a hero with a capital H. I think of myself as that imposter, a person who's lip syncing to the song. Um, and similarly, I think even with poetry, I don't think of myself as a poet with a capital P. I think of myself as a wannabe poet who's lip syncing, who's desperately looking for those poems by whether it's a Marilyn Hacker or a Mary Oliver or a Dickinson, you know, and desperately trying to find myself in those and, and not finding myself, which is when I have to write, you know. So, yeah, sometimes um, it's very important to find women like you because I think. I don't know about others, but I don't know about the people who can who actually write poetry as poets with a capital P, saying that, oh, I am a poet today and today I'm going to write poetry, uh, you know. Um, but when you see other women talking of things the way that Marilyn Hacker does, you think that, oh, this is where I want to be. I want to be with these women in some imaginary space, some imaginary land called poetry. And if I can just, you know, be in the companionship of these people. So, yeah, I think, I think my, my approach uh, to uh, my, uh, my academic and creative uh, sort of 
approach in life is very muddled on one hand by my access to um, these poets with capital P, I guess. And on the other hand, really quote unquote low forms of artistic expression like Bollywood songs, you know, uh, <clears throat> really not necessarily um, uh, songs or, or poetry that's considered high art. And I like to live between these two forms, you know, very Bollywood tip tip barsapani and Marilyn Hacker on, on the other hand. I love, this is why I'm small town, um, come to big town, uh, big dreams, small town, small language, untranslatable, messy, all of that. So, yeah. I guess that sounds more like a bio note to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was actually thinking, you know, I have a very similar idea of me being a poet and I haven't written anything in the last at least a year. I can't. At remember. least you got onto that anthology, man. I couldn't get onto that anthology. <laughs> you at Are least you... belong with the, with the queers. I don't even belong there. See, that's what I mean. Oh God! You, the, uh, so for those who don't know, this is the book by edited by Akhil Katyal and Aditi Angiras, the world that belongs to us. Uh, queer poetry from South Asia. I think that's the name. And uh, interestingly, like I think that's when I stopped writing. Maybe because I thought I have been, I have been acknowledged. <laughs> now I don't need to write. I, okay, I'm joking. I, I, I think my last poems that I wrote was in 2001. Yeah. I can read that. out a poem that you've written, Rajeshi. I would love that. Please, I'll read it. Yeah, I'll read it out later. Why don't you start a podcast and invite me? I'll, I'll, I would love that. I would really like that. Yeah. But oh, that actually, uh, since you mentioned now, and see, so you have sort of this is a can. What do you call it? The opening the can of worms, and and you can ignore the question if you want. We can edit that also later. But uh, the anthology kinds of does this work of like a pan South or it tries to do like a pan South Asian work. But uh, on one hand, you see a lot of representation from uh, let's say Indian authors, you know, whom you whom you haven't read maybe in English translations. Uh, you see a lot of Pakistani poets. Uh, you see less from uh, let's say uh, Bangladesh or or Nepal, Bhutan, and others. So uh, since the fact that India tends to dominate, you know, like the space in South Asia uh, in various ways, whether it's economic, whether it's publishing. What do you think is the place of such works uh, or anthologies, literary texts? Do you think they end up centering India nonetheless? Because that's actually what my research is to some extent. Or do you think that's uh, making space uh, space, which yes, there is a kind of an inclusivity politics where, you know, one person includes others who are not included, but at the same time, uh, that yeah. needs to start because there are somebody who are already inside that, you know, uh, sure. power position. Yeah. No, I think it's a great, firstly, a congratulations for having that anthology. It's a great place to start. One anthology cannot have, I think, all names, all poets. And uh, that's great. I think, but but like I said, my point of saying that I was not included is, is for me, the opposite was, uh, the opposite effect was had, which is, I wanted to write more. I felt like I didn't belong. And um, that made me really curious. That also made me talk of myself as also queer. Because if that is queer, then what am I? I'm also queer. So, and I think that is the politics of, of uh, South Asian representation also. You know, representation in any case, I don't think can be inclusive. Um, uh, it can include everything. Uh, but that makes me think that maybe we need more anthologies by more people what can how much can two people do but it is a great starting point i mean if tomorrow i am working on queer poetry i need something right some collation something that brings together voices and yes india is um fortunately or not at the at the center of south asian politics just because it's so big i mean but um, maybe uh, if you had um, South Asian voices from the diaspora, um, you'd find sort of more interesting curations. You'd find other kinds of curations. And it's an interesting idea to have. I mean, uh, I think critique is really important for 
other voices to have to grow. So yeah, I think it's a great uh, anthology to begin with. You know, we can have more. Yeah, and uh, this will be my last question. So you mentioned earlier about your journey from a uh, small town to uh, like a big city. Uh, I think you were referring to Shiliguri particularly, and you said you were also invited uh, to be part of a panel during the Shiliguri Pride. So what's your relationship to the queer community uh, there? And also I want to just like put an asterisk and say, um, given the conversations around Gorkha land, uh, you know, that the, uh, I mean, it kind of, there was of course the, the massive protest in 2017, uh, but it's a very long historical kind of, you know, it's not a recent sort of development of sorts. And you are from a region, uh, if I may say, I mean, you were born and brought up, let's, you know, uh, qualify that in a region which, uh, which uh, is been you know, contested whether they should stay in West Bengal, whether they should be part of the Gorkha land. So do you have, you need not have an opinion, but do you have an opinion on that? And do you think that queerness and your relationship to the queer community is something that engages with that in any form? Do queer communities in uh, Shiliguri, for instance, think about the questions of Gorkha land and ethnicity? So, yeah, that those are, yeah. So I'll tell you, my my first um, so to, this was two thousand twenty end of two thousand twenty when I uh, first came to know of the Shiliguri Pride Walk or or even an event around it and since then I think that this was seven days before my father passed away and since then I have gingerly taken steps um, to acquaint myself with the community I don't know it well I only knew know a few people. Uh, I know of, I know names of NGOs now, uh, but I don't know the landscape well enough. I've I, I have not lived in Shiliguri for 19 years now. I've, I lived for 18 years and then I have not lived for 19 years. So it's that kind of a relationship. It's, I live in cusps, you know, I live in the cusp of, it's like a door hinge, you know, I open and close sometimes. So uh, my relationship with the city in itself is very, uh, I, I think of Delhi as home because I think of Delhi as exile. You know, most people can think of going back to Shiliguri, take a job, live there, but I can't, you know, I, I can't. But the possibility of a Shiliguri pride walk for the first time made it okay for me with much anxiety. Uh, so it's easy for me to strut around and say I'm queer, give interviews in Delhi, but the thought of being queer in Shiliguri, you know, induced a lot of fear in me. So, uh, but now with the idea of a Shiliguri queer something existing there, I feel like it would be okay for me to live and not hide in Shiliguri, for example. So that idea personally was okay for me. Can I just tell you that, you know, I am, I, I, my parents were immigrants to Shiliguri, my, not parents, my dad, my grandparents in 1947-48. And I, I was brought up in a largely Bengali dominated with words like non-Bengali, Nepali. Mm. Uh, so definitely. So, you know, the colonial mentality of immigrants is not something that I'm unaware of. I see that because I myself immigrated to a city, to a new neighborhood, and I see the power politics there. I mean, it's true. I don't know if Bengal is ready for a Nepali chief minister. Just that, just think of that. Can Bengalis uh, imagine having a Nepali? So even though Darjeeling was two hours away and Calcutta sort of uh, 10 hours away, uh, imaginatively, we tried to erase our own language. I was always told to speak in Bhadra Bangla. Um, uh, so, the erasure didn't start with the Nepal. So where did where did your grandparents migrate from? From Moimunching, Moimunching, Dhaka. Oh, my, my uh, yeah. So they also you're Bangal like me. <laughs> yes, I am, uh, very much so. And um, so there was there was a paradoxical need on one hand to to sort of assert one's culture as Bengali and to erase that Bengali in relation in relation to Bhadralok. Bangali of, of West Bengal, which is speak a certain way. So in this landscape, Nepali never even featured except 
to the friends I had at school. And even they were always seen as outsiders. Now, this sort of started to change once this imagination of, of Shiliguri as being Bengali. You know, I remember when these uh, small sort of fights broke between um, over the Gorkhalan agitation, me going back to my mama buddy to my home and having these really um, impassioned fights. Even now I go back and have these impassioned fights about caste, about Nepalese. So in a sense, for me, I'm not answering your question whether I see a relation. For me, what I'm, what I'm addressing is what critical thinking does to you is it doesn't make you, it alienates you, you know, from where you come, which is Shiliguri, a certain kind of Bengali, a certain kind of small town. It, it alienates you here in Delhi. Um, and honestly, I don't know if I, if I myself am not um, in the category of people who don't know where I belong. I don't know. So I, so inherently I feel a certain kind of, of solidarity with people who don't belong in their own land. Um, I don't belong, you know, I don't belong with my relatives back home. I don't belong even in the queer circle with a certain opinion of queerness. I am always fighting with people, with friends. I'm fighting with them, I'm fighting for them, especially for them, you know, inside my own heart. Um, and the only thing I think I have become good at after all these years is knowing how to fight, um, knowing how, when to conserve energy in order to fight. Yeah, choosing the really, right fights. Yeah. Choosing the right fights. And, and, and that too makes me very uneasy. You know, Rajesh is saying that choosing the right fights because I have started choosing now. Because I've fought so much. So on one hand, there is a deep need that I feel that, that queer solidarities should form with, let's say, political geographies like this. And on the other hand, there is a certain exhaustion, I feel, from fighting. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, yeah, um, it, it, it does, actually. And I, now that I'm here and I'm meeting with people whom I never had interaction with, people in my kinship networks, and I know how they feel. I can also sense that kind of, uh, you know, discomfort with uh, different kind of minorities, especially I'm referring to people who have migrated from Bangladesh because they have a certain perception of being a minority there. Uh, also, I was actually talking to a friend like Beneath, whom I mentioned earlier, um, and I didn't know a lot about the nuances of the Nepali identity, which I uh, came to know of recently. And the fact that the set, the, the assimilation of the indigenous communities into the Nepali culture is something that, you know, usually is not talked about so much uh, in the mainstream, whether it's a Bengali culture or because after all, Bengalis are settlers, you know, so, but then it's, it's a very interesting history of like other indigenous tribal communities. What do you mean Bengalis are settlers? When I say settlers, I mean whether it's in Shiliguri or whether it's in Assam, right? Like, of course, there is, of course, there has been, I'm not saying there has not been any violence against Bengalis. <laughs> but uh, as settlers, we have been very successful, like, you know, having the property, having land. Uh, like, for instance, if you remember, was it uh, Inheritance of Loss, if I'm not mistaken, where you had the... Uh, the Nepali cook. Uh, yeah, yeah. In I think it was. Yeah, I think it was inheritance of loss. So I mean, those representation. That's it. And also, I think even in like films, like Bengali films, even though high art films, uh, you would only see uh, certain characters feature. And most of the time, the Nepali characters would also be indigenous characters who have also been assimilated into Nepali uh, cultures. Bengali. No, Nepal. Bengali. So, uh, like indigenous people who were perhaps not Nepali in the sense that a lot of Nepali people, for instance, actually are Hindus uh, and kind of it becomes indistinguishable sometimes uh, in terms of the cultural practices. But I was talking to this one friend, uh, I was talking to Beneath, who was also referring to how uh, his community uh, was would not speak uh, Nepali to start with. So there is a distinction between his 
uh, indigenous identity and the larger Nepali identity. So, so these kind of complicates complicate sort of understanding and what queerness has to do with that is something which I think we haven't really, like we as in, in general, I mean, queer activists or theorists are still sort of yet to discuss and I hope more discussions do happen. I was just listening to Anil Pradhan's uh, BBC, this uh, radio es essay, which was really lovely to listen to. And um, yeah, one can just hope that these conversations happen and I don't know where one can belong, <laughs> like you said, you and 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 it's kind of funny that the anthology we're referring to actually uses the word belongs, right? <laughs> so, and yeah, it's absolutely. and the world, the world, it's like a singular, and that's something which uh, I found very interesting when I was writing this one article. I was just saying that, you know, what about queer praxis? We we are we are inheriting all these different worldviews. Where what are we defending? What because when you come down to the field, when you come down to action, there's messiness. You know, one is... I, I don't think <clears throat> in India, in Delhi, my queer practice is about pronouns. I'm glad you didn't ask me about my pronouns. Sure, I do. Roets, I, within brackets. <laughs> good for you. Now, yeah. I, will, I will use pronouns as they when I'm publishing. I will. Yeah. In writing. But here in India, I mean, I'm not, please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's not important to do mm -hmm. pronouns. It is, it is, you know, but I would do be a program class, they call me ma'am. No, I am ma'am. Um, I, I have to, you know, uh, sort of flit between these vertical categories of, of, uh, being a woman, non-binary. I'm so grateful for the places where I can be non-binary. But queerness on ground is just finding that one person who will loan you 10,000 rupees when you need it. Really. Yeah. It's not, so, it's not so complicated. It's, it's okay. Yes, you want on social media for people to respect. But precarity you know, precarity is not about neat uh, ideas. It's it's also about coming home and your mother asking who's that strange friend of yours and you having to talk about those things. Praxista is not so neat, you know. And there I find myself faltering. I don't know. You asked me something at the beginning where I wanted to say this, you know. Unfortunately, whether it's feminisms or whether it's queerness, there are categories like good queer, progressive queer, good woman, good feminist, bad feminist. What do we do with those? What do we do with the judgment in our heads for people who don't agree with us? Where do we keep them? It's not simply about saying this is, that's what I said, you know, it would be so much easy for me, easier for me to have only friends who agree with me who don't agree with marriage uh, advocacy or whatever. But that is not, so again, you know, we, we inhabit a city, we inhabit friendships and, and we're reduced to those, these cliques. That is not praxis. You know, what about diversity? What about fighting with each other? What about not praising our friends to the skies, but passing on the mic? You know, what about those things? What about not being good queers, progressive enough? Why do we have to be progressive? It, I, I hear friends talking about love and lovers and, you know, talking about lovers and saying, you know, my lover is amazing. She's an amazing human being. And I think, my God, and this person is not good enough and that person is not good enough. I think this is how we are defined by the world outside of us. And this is how we define the world inside of us. So it's like a shrinking radius till there's this one dot on which you can only place one foot and stand like a like a stork or something like a crane or something and i don't know like where are we going to go with these labels i the inherent labels are not cistrans da 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 are you trans enough are you queer enough are you good enough are you radical enough are you progressive enough mm. i don't understand as an educator and as a queer educator, as a queer person, 
how we do not give people the space to make mistakes i do not be, i do not understand the color culture mm-hmm. i really i i find a fundamental contradiction in see on one hand everything <clears throat> cannot be reduced to principle everything cannot on paper we need theory we need theory to dream we need theory to show us the way people are not papers people's lives are not sums that add up you know people's lives are not um need binaries what how can i i mean you know i have to come back home and and battle with a mother who's telling me who's making me unlearn what i have unlearned like not making me i would say i would take that back i would say she's putting me in a position where i have you know how do you define that rate you know for example i'll, I'll give you a very good example of you know the earlier i told you about queering marriage as an institution i'm telling you about queering family as an institution what is the name of that violence where my mother i don't need my mother to accept me that i'm queer i don't need her acceptance i don't need i haven't come out with begging bowl i live on my own terms in my own space but after my father's passed away she comes and lives with me and she does not want to accept that i have made a valid choice now at this point my defense puts me in a very strange position of attack i suddenly realize i'm no longer her child i'm 37 years old and i am in a position of power vis-a-vis uh, a senior citizen a parent who is in my care how do i define the violence how do i define that violence in what book these strange indian ways of living in the family you know have obligatory practices how there are no systems of redress and how we live is also important not just how we speak and posture and who we think you know seems correct on paper to love i'm sorry it's messy it's very messy Mm-hmm. and i wish sometimes that queer narratives were messy you know they were not so neat and about happy couple dums and and uh, you know that's why i said i lip sync to the i i some days i lip sync to the male part female part music all of it for me lip syncing is a very very good metaphor about what we queer people are doing with normative desire yeah yeah and lip syncing to also what we think people want us to say in a certain context in a certain way and even, by the way even post, yeah post colonial no. language yeah yeah you know sometimes i i i can i can i mean there's a there's an artist called bohemia a uh, pakistani artist punjabi rap i mean i suddenly when i lip sync to a bohemia song i find myself becoming the 13 year old queer again and still having access to deep sense of low self worth now where does that come from in a 37 year old body we are palimpsests we are thick we are we are like amshatto you know layers and layers of selves how can we suddenly have identity politics what about the intersectionalities within ourselves the wounds within ourselves how we react so much that is i think that needs to there needs to be more curations of queer practices different ways of being queer sorry i interrupted you sort of no i was actually saying since you used the word messy several times uh, messiness is also something that i'm trying to theorize in my work uh, and not necessarily which is like negative but also something which uh, leads to something productive uh, like you're saying you don't have to then neatly have these categories so for me my latest research was on catfish Mm-hmm. and i'll tell you again you know that's what i meant you know not queerness in terms of identity politics but outside of it so i speak regularly with a lot of catfishes uh catfishes and people whose identity is ambiguous um and it's a very very interesting exercise for me you know uh there is desire there i don't know who this person is i know that i don't know who this person is but let's say um a, a person initiates a conversation um about a poem that i read a poem they have read it's absolutely like an encounter in a city but um with a person you don't know who it is and and you know that you don't know who it is um absolute strangers that you can have 
romantic conversations with, without knowing what their identity is, without knowing what their gender is. Sometimes they use the wrong gender, uh, not wrong, please let me take that word back, but a, a gender as a mask, basically. They're using gender as a mask. And um, initially, my I had many kinds of reactions. I had, I was outraged, I was, but then I thought if I could connect with this person, then is my desire then uh, sort of uh, mediated by what I know of this person and what I know consciously about their gender? What about this person? What about what they want to be, what they want to be seen as? Isn't that also queerness? Isn't, isn't that something that queerness is about beyond identity politics? People who can have a romantic conversation with you regardless of who you think they are, you know? And that for me is messy. That for me is messy because it makes me question my own assumptions. Like, you know, you're not Rajoshi Daswami. You are also the artistic mask you wear. And in that sense, for me, it is what drama is. It's wearing that mask. It is what many uh, female authors have, uh, authors have done in the 19th century. Wear a mask, wear a pseudonym, wear a heteronym, uh, use other names. That, those are identities within us. No? Those are messy. Those are multiple ways of being. You know, what about those multiple ways of being? Queer, for me, that's why I say the adjective rather than the noun. It's not one thing for me that I have to suddenly theorize, define. What do I do with that self that raps to me? That I don't know Punjabi. If you ask me to speak Punjabi, I can't. But when the music is on, I can lip sync. Who is that person? Yeah. Even like, I don't want to give up the term anti-politics because of the way it's sort of no, 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 like no, negative. Absolutely. But no, I feel I like there are other ways, like you were saying, but like why these do masks. you not want to give up this word identity politics? Why do you not? Uh, because of the baggage that it carries. Like, so I would like to re redo it, reconfigure it. Like, say, uh, things that I cannot or I'm not supposed to reconfigure. Right. Let's say the queer, the word which has been reclaimed. I want to reclaim it in a certain way, especially given how uh, the, how people are reclaiming it. Whether it's the like I said, the queer project, whether it's the Chinky Homo project, and of course it use, does not use the word queer, but um, it's still it does a certain kind of identity politics, which is very different from the identity politics. Let's say BJP does, or the identity so politics. Me, let's say. Identity politics, I wouldn't give it up because how else are you going to galvanize people? Mm -hmm. How else are you <clears> going to <throat> mobilize movements if you don't yeah. have some stable marker, if everything is fluid, some sort of latch onto which you bring these intersectionalities? Mm -hmm. So for me, identity politics is at the heart of galvanizing and mobilizing people. You know, if you don't call yourself queer as a noun, you know. That's why these hashtags are important. If I look into an archive of queerness and I don't find the word queer, where am I going to go? Or if mm -hmm. I don't find the word black? So, of course, I think for me, identity polit politics is important because of the purpose of identity politics, yeah. which is we live in a deeply fractured sense of identity, something we need to hold on to. For example, even if it's a provisional term, like woman, for example, right? I have to latch on to this term woman for a while. I went to a women's college, people see me as woman. So, but where, where, for me, the question is not whether to give up identity, where to claim identity politics and mm. where not. When and when not to. For me, that is important. It's not a, a homogenous, like I'm not an identity all the time. I'm not queer when I go to my mama buddy or sitting and, you know, whatever. I don't want to be queer there. I cannot be queer in the same way I'm in Shilguri as I'm, you know, we, we inhabit these multiplicities. Yeah. Whether they're forms, whether they're cultural forms, whether they're spatial, whether it's this conversation where I can be adequately queer in a, in a, in a sense and theorize and be futuristic. I cannot be if someone else is asking me a different set of questions. Uh, we have to understand that the nature of our identities is also provisional and temporary and depends on who we are interacting with. For me, that is a very, very important. 
I am queer in Jantar Mantar on 6th of September every year. I am. That is not an identity that I'm willing to give up. I am going to be queer if there is um, somebody who's being penalized in the name of being queer. I will stand up as queer. But where it is easy, if you're, if you're, if you're bringing, if you're calling out someone who's made a mistake um, in the use of the word queer and you're calling them out as trolls, I'm not queer there. Please don't count me out. For me, power matters. And I will always be queer in relation to that power and, and cultural power also. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I feel, yeah, we had like, I feel like we have two, two interviews that should be like published in two parts. <laughs> but yeah i feel like that's a good note to end with um although i think i have a more like uh uh let's say a slightly different approach to call out culture because like you said about power sometimes i think about who is calling out who like what is the context in which that's happening and can i use call in because what i have seen here in academy is like a lot of white folks don't like the call out culture because they are getting called out all the time so they would like you know say let's do a call in but uh, yeah. but then when you do call them in they will be equally they dismissive don't. yeah <laughs> so so it doesn't work out but yeah but i know what you mean um thank you so much Devolina, and i hope you get a good night's sleep now this was a great thank conversation you, Thank you for inviting me and giving me this space to think with you. Yeah. It was great.